Thank you for your practice. Please feel free to change your posture and do whatever you need to be more comfortable. <clears throat> I'd like to read a short passage that uh, a couple of you will recognize from Tuesday morning's uh, 8 a.m. meditation. For most of you, it will probably be new. And it's a couple, it's a couple pages long, it's about a page and a half. There's a discourse where the Buddha talks about the impossibility of realization for someone who is without gratitude, or we may say someone prone to stinginess. It's not stinginess about material things so much as a narrow approach to experiencing the world. Without, relin without relinquishing this quality of stinginess, the mind is not able to experience first jhana, second jhana, third jhana, fourth jhana, stream entry, etc. The mind is not able to enter those more settled states of concentration or be open to insight and penetration. So it's the underlying quality of mind that helps lay the foundation for the mind to settle and be clear. That's an important reflection in the sense of, what is it that allows the mind to settle fully? What are the qualities that will allow the mind to be genuinely peaceful? It's the building of a momentum of well-being, a momentum of wholesome mental states that allow the mind to really settle. Of course, gratitude is a powerful quality that allows the mind to be bright, and we can reflect on that as we sit down for meditation. We cross our legs, get ourselves set up, get our posture upright, and rather than going into minding the breath immediately, in-breath, out-breath, in-breath, out-breath, we reflect. What do I have to be grateful for? There's a different quality of mind that arises when we turn the mind to review and reflect. What are the things that are worthy of gratitude? What are the occasions where others have helped me? What circumstances have been favorable? What we are experiencing right now might not necessarily be so pleasant. We've all been around long enough to know that external conditions in terms of physical comfort, the world, the weather, the political climate, the social climate, the economic climate can be quite challenging. And then there are those human beings we have to live with. They can be really irritating sometimes. But if we focus on that, if we allow that to take over the mind, then it plays as if on a loop that goes through our consciousness, and we end up in negativity or dullness because we don't mindfully tune it out. But if we direct our attention to something like gratitude, then it's not just a Pollyanna-ish type of thing that tries to make everything look wonderful. Rather, it's an attitude of, quote, yes, there is all the rest of it, the difficulties, 
But I choose to look at something that helps to let my mind be bright because that's what has real value in my life. That is what I want to make much of in my life, that which brings brightness and clarity and peace. It is about how we turn our attention and reflect. That was a part of a uh, transcript of a talk by Ajahn uh, Pasano, one of the uh, living Thai forest uh, monastic teachers. I thought it would be appropriate to uh, dedicate tonight's practice and uh, Dharma reflection to Arjan Cha, the great Thai meditation master and teacher who uh, has left uh, so many clear uh, teachings himself, but also so many uh, students of his who have themselves left us so many clear teachings. And um, for the simple fact that so much of what I have been exposed to and also our community has been exposed to has been informed by the Thai forest tradition as well as the Burmese tradition. So um, much of what I share with you that's um, quoted from others will be from the living Thai forest uh, teachers, monastic teachers. The idea that gratitude is a foundation for wisdom is based on a simple Buddhist tenet that runs throughout all of the Dhamma. The more pure the mind state, the easier it is for the mind to settle, to become stable and quiet. The more stable and quiet the mind is, the greater the likelihood of us seeing closer to how things really are. This is called clear seeing which means to understand the true nature of something. When we are seeing most clearly, we understand that mental and physical phenomena are not permanent. We understand that mental and physical phenomena are not personal. When we see according to this true nature, we are less prone to dukkha unsatisfactoriness and distress. And we become, if you will, more eligible for or uh, more prone to moments of contentment, peace, and happiness. For me, gratitude functions in a way sometimes very similar to generosity. They both seem more naturally available when I'm not over-identified with the events of my life. When I have been able to renounce a for or against attitude. And I can also cultivate these qualities intentionally in order to get in touch with a seemingly innate sense of well-being that reduces the need to cling or attach to persistent and problematic habit energies um, that I may be tempted by.
in a sense, appreciating our life is a wise way of cutting through the delusion of problems, going beyond the notion that we are going beyond the notion that we remain far from experiencing our life in the way we want to. I'm going to read that sentence again. Appreciating our life is a wise way of cutting through the delusion of problems, going beyond the notion that we remain far from experiencing our life the way we want to. Appreciation has a way of um, uh, plopping us down in a space of, quote, things are pretty good right now. Um, I think not dissimilar to how the early suttas described the mind state of loving kindness as similar to finding a shady tree to sit under in a hot summer day. So this logic is not asking us to dismiss or deny the truth of difficulties within our own lives or within the world around us, within our communities, within society at large. It's saying actually that we can be in touch with these difficulties in our lives and yet find ways of allowing the mind to both settle and brighten, settle and brighten. And I think part of the reason we're talking about this and part of the reason the Buddha taught this is because without a settled mind that can see see clearly and without a bright mind that is inspired, that has a sense of skillful versus unskillful, wholesome versus unwholesome, we're not going to interact very well in that outside world anyway, right? There's a greater sense often of paralysis rather than engagement. Cell biologist Bruce Lipton says <coughs> says that unco- says that our unconscious mind processes 20 million bits of information per second, referred to as environmental stimuli, while we are generally only able to be aware consciously of 40 of those bits. I want to read that again. The unconscious mind processes 20 million bits of information per second, while we are generally only able to be aware consciously of 40 of those bits. This means we are 19,900,980 bits shy of seeing the full picture in every second. This gives new meaning and quite a perspective, I think, to the Buddhist notion of not seeing clearly. So if the majority of the environmental stimuli that is processed is not consciously known, meaning mindfulness is not privy to it or able to pick it up, 
while simultaneously we have a learned habit of looking for threats in the environment, it makes sense that a lot of what we are aware of by habit does not lend itself to appreciation, peace, contentment, gratitude, happiness. We could say then that a lot of Buddhist practice is aimed at helping us see more than the 20 bits of information or the 40 bits of information we normally see in each second. We are curious about the other 19,900,980 bits or 960 bits. Okay, so we normally are able to register 40 bits of information. So we could say, my math's a little off, not surprisingly. We could say that we are curious as we practice the Dharma, as we develop mindfulness, we are becoming curious about the other 19,900,960 bits. We might even be relieved to hear this, the prospectively good news that there is near 20 million bits of information which could be advantageous to our goal of living a better or fuller life, a more joyful or appreciative life, a life of less worry, even our goal of being free through the accumulation of insight. To follow this logic, Insight is both to see more than the 40 bits that we commonly see and to know more about how and why we respond the way we do to those 40 bits. We are literally expanding our view. Lipton says, the behaviors managed by the unconscious mind when we are not paying attention may not be for our own creation because most of our fundamental behavioral programs were downloaded without question from observing other people. I would add to this for countless generations. The learned behaviors and beliefs acquired from other people such as parents, peers, teachers may not support the goals or desires of our conscious mind. The conscious mind also has the power to be spontaneously creative in its response to environmental stimuli. In its self-reflective capacity, the conscious mind can observe behaviors as they're being carried out. As a pre-programmed behavior is unfolding, the observing conscious mind can step in, stop the behavior, and create a new response. Sound familiar? We are programmed to see what is unpleasant and unwanted in our environment because it often made sense to glance at the world in this way. From an ev evolutionary perspective, we are the result of having once needed to be alert and on guard so as to notice real threats in our environment. Watching four invaders or other large animals didn't leave us a lot of time for noticing the flowers edging their way up through the cracks between the rocks. Trauma works like this too, giving the appearance of threat to benign experiences due to how those experiences symbolize or mimic a real threat from the past. 
from a Buddhist perspective, we are all dukkha prone, hardwired to be on guard, to remove ourselves from unpleasant things, and to remove unpleasant things from ourselves. In order to remove ourselves from unpleasant things, we must first notice them. What does this mean? We are almost always looking for unpleasant things. What a gloomy way to approach life. Scanning other people, the whole world of events, our environment for unpleasant encounters, risks, threats, things we don't like. No wonder anxiety runs high. No wonder the mind is often contracted. That this system does in fact work, and thus we do often see things that don't easily bring joy or happiness, this supports depression and otherwise heavy rather than buoyant and bright mind states. To focus our attention in life on what is not working, not going well, on what is unwanted or needs to be changed, is to miss out on all the things that are fine as they are. All the time spent scanning our environment for its flaws, we are not appreciating what is right before our eyes. Ajahn Passano, in his teaching, says, There can be a lot of gratitude that comes into the heart when we're able to really extend ourselves beyond our own feelings, our own biases, our own perspectives. This is actually a very important thing to reflect on, because so often we tend to get caught up in how we feel, how we like things, what we dislike, what we want, what we don't want, and we measure the world, measure ourselves, and measure others from that perspective. Inevitably, that ends up being very limiting, very cramped, and very crowded. If we follow this attitude, it's easy to drift into negativity or just not to experience a sense of expansiveness in the heart. And that doesn't give much room for gratitude. Notice how many times Ajahn Passano uses we in this paragraph. We could easily substitute this we for I. I think what Ajahn is pointing out is how the self both filters and forms the world that we see in a particular way. A way that places us at the center of it. A dualistic world. And establishes us within a world, within that world, as having something to gain or lose. What a bummer to live always with the threat of gain or loss. No wonder it is hard to deeply relax, fully let go, truly appreciate all that is unfolding around and within us. A self-referential worldview is one of the things that blocks our appreciation of life. With this in mind, something like appreciation or gratitude which may appear tangential to wisdom or a byproduct of it, now becomes an agent for it, a precursor to it, a foundation. I would argue a baseline for a spiritual life.
So as I have mentioned before, gratitude and wisdom go together. It is from gratitude that we develop wisdom. It is from wisdom that we feel and express gratitude. It is thus not something that we wait for, but rather something that we cultivate. Ajahn Passano, again, speaking specifically about gratitude. So it's a way of turning the mind. The turning of the mind is an essential part of practice that allows us to go beyond our comfort zone, to push the envelope a bit of what we feel acceptable. This is useful because so much of our spiritual practice tends to involve expending a tremendous amount of effort trying to make everything comfortable, acceptable. It's not just our spiritual practice. In the human condition, that's what human beings expend a huge amount of effort in doing. Trying to make things comfortable, acceptable, secure, and resent or fear anything that's outside of that. We can be grateful for the Dharma. I often am. Often when I have a real felt sense of gratitude, it's on occasions like this when the effort of my life has been consolidated into exploring the possibility of pure mind states, of well-being. When I have the felt sense of others to live my life with, who are interested in the same themes, the possibility of a real wholesome, healthy, embodied skill. The notion that such things could infiltrate more and more our communities and the world that we live in. We can be grateful for teachers of all kinds people who spend their time, in some cases the better part of their life, trying to understand certain things and also trying to understand how to explain them to us in order that we can understand them. We can be grateful for whatever degree of health we might have, learning to emphasize what our body can do versus what it can't do. We can be grateful for community and friends. We can be grateful for people in our lives who take time to help us, even if it is their job, even if we might pay them. We can be grateful for food and shelter, uh, warm water to bathe in. We can be grateful for any of the things that we have that many people or some that some people in the world don't have. A friend of mine who some of you met last Thursday night, Dave Smith, said once when we were on retreat, you could be grateful for having a pair of sunglasses on a sunny day. 
we can be grateful for the natural world, the ability to, regardless of where we live, to sometimes be in nature. Grateful for trees, water, oceans and rivers. The Buddha taught that we could and should appreciate our parents, no matter what, who did the best they could, no matter what that looked like, just as we do our best in our own life, no matter what that looks like. Sometimes we do well and sometimes we don't. We can do this, appreciate other people, no matter what, when we understand the complexity and conditionality of the human mind and relationships, the imperfection of them. We can see that everyone does their best. We can even appreciate feedback from others when people care enough about our relationship with them that they are willing to risk making us in themselves uncomfortable to let us know what is not working. We can appreciate difficulties in our lives, these Dharma doors that make opportunities for us to learn and grow. And we can appreciate the opportunities to be generous to others, the endless ways we could brighten our mind by being more available to other people, more patient, to give them more of what they need to fare better in their own lives or to be happier. The Buddha said that gratitude was one of the highest blessings. And closing once again with a passage from Ajahn Pasano. It's not something that we take, it's not something that we wait around for, the conditions of our life to be perfect so that we can feel gratitude for nice things and then have a sense of gratitude. But it's something that one brings attention to on a regular basis so that it becomes the habit of the mind. It's training. It's a skillful way of giving a sense of oomph to the mind that adds brightness to it. 